Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Thanks for joining us, everybody. How are you, Abby? Doing great, Robbie. Uh, definitely lacking on the sleep. It's deteriorating my brain, and I feel like my brain has become rewired to be permanently dumb. It's very unfortunate. Just the new newborn, seven months in, and just still waking up several times during the night. She's waking up at five in the morning every morning, and like, I just realized that I, yeah, to lack that much sleep on a continuous basis really does erode a lot of neural function and memory capability to the point where I'm like, I've just stopped doing interviews completely. I don't, I'm not doing anything at all. It's kind of good to just use maternity leave as an excuse in perpetuity. But like at this point, I, I cannot mentally handle anything else. It's kind of sad. That's sad. It is sad. Seek out a mental health professional of some kind. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. You might, you might benefit. Mm -hmm. So a couple of weeks before recording this podcast um, was the tragic death of Sinead O'Connor. Growing up in the 1980s, uh, probably my first major exposure to Sinead O'Connor was in the form of something that people were completely outraged by. I would say mostly people of the boomer generation, and but also just like mainstream culture was uh, completely putting her through the ringer for tearing up a picture of the Pope at the end of her musical performance as a guest, uh, musical guest on Saturday Night Live. Now, what people may not know, and I didn't even really know this until very recently, is that she actually mentions uh, systematic child abuse and child molestation in the Catholic Church as part of the reason why she does that. And, you know... it's kind of just sad in retrospect to think she was like so chastised by like pop culture for doing something like that. Um, but she was, but in a way it's kind of like a cool thing that she, that she's also remembered for doing something like that because in retrospect, I think she was really vindicated um, for doing it. And people like Joe Pesci, uh, who was like, I think either the guest host that night or maybe the episode after said that he would have punched her in the face if he was there when she did that. Um, so makes me lose respect for Joe Pesci. That's so stupid. I mean, yeah, very tragic early death at 56 years old. I'm not sure if the details surrounding her death have been revealed about what, if it was natural causes, Vax suddenly died, died suddenly. Unfortunate. Unfortunately, she was vexed. Obviously, um, we're joking. Very unfortunate. But her son committed suicide. A year prior. Yeah. Yeah, she had three other kids, I think. Um, but yeah, I think she she was pretty open about how much that disrupted her life and how just lost she was without her son. Very sad. I can't imagine that happening. You know, 20 years old, I think her son was when he took his own life. Um Interestingly enough, even though she was heralded as being like pro-Palestine later on, and she made a pretty clear-cut statement about how batshit crazy you'd have to be to like support what Israel is doing. But before that, she was slated to actually perform in Israel and blocked several people on Twitter who were asking her to cancel her performance, which I thought was interesting. I mean, she's Irish, so she... 
you know, the, the long strain of solidarity between Irish people and Palestinians goes back pretty far based on their historical comparisons to the British occupation. So I was kind of surprised to see that, actually, given how political she was. Can't win them all. You can't win them all. I mean, no, in all seriousness, I mean, <laughs> what, what she did against the Catholic Church um, was extremely brave for the time. She Her career definitely took a toll over it. Uh, she was a pariah in mainstream culture for a very long time. Um, and I think that just for that alone, she deserves points. I mean, she turned around, though. She she did turn around and she did make a, a really good statement on it and did cancel her gig. So at the end of the day, like that, that's all that matters. And so maybe she really dove in, you know, and maybe she just took some time to learn um, what was happening and was and came away with the right perspective. And that's all that matters. And that's what she's going to go down for. And, um, you know, I applaud her for that. It was really brave. The tearing up the Pope's photo, of course, was like such a historical moment of our childhood. You know, we all watched SNL like when it used to be kind of good. Um, but this was definitely one of those bizarre moments, definitely an unscripted thing that um, she got punished for. Absolutely punished for her career kind of came to a standstill. And like you said, it was to call. A... She did. She did. Later re, um, converting to Islam wearing the hijab, rejected the whole like pop star framing, like did not want to be that person, even though the industry tried to push that on her a lot. But here's the weird story that I came across when I was researching her, because I, I, I never really like knew her music. I mean, I all I knew was the one cover song of Prince. And, and I think that was her most famous song, Nothing Compares to You. Nothing compares to you. But it was just, odd. it's like kind of odd to just only be known. I mean, I'm sure she has other music that is good, but I never knew any of it other than this one cover song. And I think that that was like her biggest hit, which is odd, like to be propelled into like this world and such an extreme level of fame for a cover song. Um, but here's the weird story that came out of it is that Prince, apparently she went over to Prince's house. He invited her over when, you know, when she became famous for his, for covering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just talking with Lori the other day about how another famous song, uh, by artist Chaka Khan is actually a cover of a Prince song. It's very interesting that one of Sinead O'Connor's biggest hits was also a cover. Did not know that. I know it is. It is fascinating. Um, and so... Apparently, Prince asked her to come over to his Hollywood home. This is her accounting of it in the New York Times. Um, asked her to come over for a meeting. He apparently summoned her, quote unquote, after her track in 1991, Nothing Compares to you, became this massive hit. When she arrived at his home, I'm, I'm reading from Louder Sound, which is actually just talking about the New York Times interview she did. Quote, when she arrived, Prince chastised her for swearing too much in interviews and tried to force his butler to serve her soup, which she, quote, repeatedly refused. Prince then reportedly suggested a pillow fight, but had slipped something hard into his own pillowcase to strike her with. Ocon this is where it gets just batshit crazy. She says that she escaped on foot in the middle of the night, after which Prince continued to stalk her with his car leapt out of his car and chased her around the freeway. Fascinating. 
fascinating. I mean, what this brings to mind for me is, do you remember the Dave Chappelle sketch that was almost like the spiritual sequel to the Charlie Murphy, like, uh, fuck your couch, mm-hmm. the Rick, uh, Rick James sketch, where it was him, where it was Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy up against Prince and like some of his like weird, um, like bandmates playing like, like a uh, basketball like Prince challenged them to a bas like an impromptu basketball match. <laughs> and he was like extremely aggressive, like during the basketball match, like fouling and like do like all doing all these <laughs> breaking all these rules and stuff. Uh so it's it's fascinating. I mean, you know, and I don't know. I mean the eighties was a was just an odd time, you know? I mean, who knows if Prince was deep into drugs back in the nineteen eighties, but like he's definitely a strange guy, you know, for all the good things that it, that were revealed after he passed away that he donated to all these causes anonymously and things like that. I mean, he was probably a fucking diva and, and crazy person. Like all these celebrities in the eighties were, you know, like to yeah, some I degree, mean, this, is, this is kind of nuts. I, I believe her completely. Why the hell would, this is such a weird story to yeah, make up that he like slipped something in a pillowcase and just tried to basically assault <laughs> her, like physically assault <laughs> that's like just... the West Point. Uh, it's like what the kids do at West Point when they uh, when they do like the yearly pillow fights. They all like try to put shit in their pillows, and there's all these like rules now where you can't put shit in your pillows. And like, so he did like the old school. I've never had that happen to me before. That would be <laughs> fucked up if even like you were at like a sleepover in a pillow fight and someone did that to you. You know? Yeah, and don't forget the chasing her on the highway in the middle of the night. So yeah, that's I mean, also she... insane. And I think that's also what got her like chastise also is like her speaking out about this kind of stuff people were just like you're crazy you know i mean like you said the 80s and 90s were a pretty fucked up time i I, women were not treated very well and and i would argue that they're still not treated very well and especially like in terms of believability and when someone's just totally outside the box like her they just didn't know how to treat her or treat really anything that she said so yeah she started to be treated like a pariah in general um, similarly to Paul Rubin, another kind of childhood hero of ours. I know that we were big fans of uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I amazingly Huge directed chance. by Tim Burton. Yeah, just watch it again for the first time in a really long time. It's been at least ten years, and after he passed away, watched it. It holds up almost better, like than almost any other movie that's that silly. Like I like that you watched it 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Only you would do that. I mean, it's so fucking, it is, it really is. If not Tim Burton's best movie, it's like one of the best eighties comedies ever. And, and it like ages like well over time. Like it doesn't get more, you know, like silly or, or juvenile in like a bad way. It's like, Oh, like there's just seems to be so many layers to it. Even watching it, you know, I watched it 10 years ago when I was like in my thirties and now watching it, it's like, I pick up on all these new things. It's right. it's kind of surreal. Like how, how deep of a movie it is for being on the surface. Like just like a almost like movie. a cartoon. Yeah. Well, P I mean, sadly, Paul Rubin died at 70. Apparently he was battling cancer for many years, which is really tragic to just not reveal that. And then just release this statement. Um, Pee Wee's big adventure was such a formative movie for us. I mean, for me personally, because of the traumatization of seeing Large Marge and you playing, forcing me to watch <laughs> yep. it, I forcing fucking, me to watch that shit over and over again. I tricked you. I was like, I I think I'm, I wanted to, I, I can't remember the exact sadistic reasoning behind it, but it was, yeah, I, I paused it and made you 
uh, rewound it and made you watch it <laughs> multiple times. I will never forget that face. One night, many yep. years ago. <laughs> um, and just fun fact I uh, for yeah. people out there, the scene with those dinosaurs that they go into, like I think it's maybe right after the large Marge scene where he gets dropped off at the diner and then... Uh, he goes with Sloane, I think the character's name is, to the to the little dinosaurs at, during the sunrise. I accidentally drove the wrong way out of Palm Springs a couple years ago, and I didn't realize it until we were like 10, 15 miles down the freeway that I was driving in the opposite direction we should have gone. And all of a sudden, we saw those dinosaurs on the side of the road. So those are those are actually in California. They're like right near Palm Springs somewhere. Have oh, to dude, I go the, I go there all the time. With Fox. Really? Yeah. We oh, stopped cute. there because it's like on the way back from Joshua Tree. He oh, makes yeah. us stop there. There's like this really campy dinosaur outdoor museum of all these old dinosaurs that were in like the first movies. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, really crazy looking stuff. And um, it's a really fun place to go with your kids for sure. And you can go inside the brontosaurus and the T-Rex. You can actually go inside of his head which yeah. is really trippy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes me want to rewatch Pee-wee's Playhouse because as awesome as Pee-wee's Big Adventure was, Pee-wee's Playhouse is just su- such a weird, psychedelic show. I mean, it's just such a bizarre show, such great props and characters that I really feel like it was one of those things that really only existed for that era and time. Um did Tim Burton have anything to do with Pee-wee's Playhouse or was that, and did Paul Rubin have anything to do with it? I mean, I know he probably well, I'll created really the character. Quick, I'll yeah. give you a really quick uh, overview of what happened. So originally Pee-wee's Playhouse was the name of like a stage show that was primarily done by Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens. They were like a comedy team. Phil mm-hmm. Hartman mostly did the writing but Phil Hartman played several of the original characters that would later appear in the TV show as like, you know, on stage. Like he played the genie in the original stage show. He played like the mailman. He played like one of the pi- like the pirate neighbor that Pee-wee had. Uh, so it was and P- and Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the movie was co-written by Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman. Um, and f- if people don't know, Phil Hartman was like this SNL guy who basically died in a really tragic murder suicide, like way before his prime basically as a comedian, very sad. Uh, and apparently they had some kind of falling out after they made Pee Wee Herman's big adventure. And, um, Paul Rubens like expressed deep regret for not like mending that relationship. Cause he, you know, Phil Harmon died very suddenly. Right. And so that was the, that's the origin of, um, Pee Wee's playhouse, the TV show. The only thing Tim Burton had to do with Pee Wee is I think, he just, um, I don't remember exactly how the relationship was forged, but he he only started working with him at the movie. Uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, the TV show, the only person that is like Tim Burton universe, other than um, Paul Rubens himself, who comes from that show, is Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman actually was scoring, doing score work for Pee-wee's Playhouse, the TV show, I think before he started working with Tim Burton. So I think that's how like they got linked up on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. If I'm not mistaken, maybe maybe actually they Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out before the TV show. Wasn't that Tim Burton's first film? Uh first full-length film, yeah. He it's did a movie called Frank and Weenie that was like a 
kind of like a not a, exactly a full length film before that. Um, but that one's also good. But yeah, I mean, it's pr- pretty much still his best. I would say his best film besides maybe that's Ed so, Wood. That's so great. Well, another tie-in to one of your one of our other favorite films is Evil Dead. Evil Dead Two, Sam Raimi's horror comedy classic. Um, Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure with Large Marge. That face that Large Marge turn, turns into is apparently a direct inspiration for the FX artist um, that oh yeah displayed one of the characters in Evil Dead. So. It's all tied together from my childhood, which is something that was really cool that I learned in the wake of Paul Rubin's death. Yeah. Uh, and just really quickly touching on the controversies he was involved in. I mean, oh yeah, I was just telling this story to someone, uh, I think it was John, uh, who was visiting from Japan. Uh, we were talking about Pee Wee's Big Adventure and just like the whole masturbation scandal. And I remember when that was on the news, like I had... I didn't realize at the time that other people knew what masturbation was. Like I thought it was just like a secret. <laughs> so I remember what? almost feeling like I was being like exposed, like it like had like a very strong effect on me. And just the fact that like he was still like my childhood hero being accused of this, you know, being wait, wait, arrested. Wait, what do you mean this. you didn't know that people, you thought that it was just something that you discovered? Well, yeah. Cause I was like, I was probably like four or five years oh, old. Oh my God. And like, That's I didn't, so it, it, in culture at the time, this is like, in the mid eighties, the only time you're going to hear about masturbation is like on a R rated, like sex comedy. And there weren't really, and even there weren't really very many of those movies even referencing it. So it was just the controversy itself was uh very, like it had a very profound impact on me. And it was like very upsetting to me just to see someone like that being, I guess it was probably the first example, you know, people use the word canceled all the time now, but it was like a genuine, like this guy is no longer going to be able to work in any sort of child entertainment medium again. Do you see what I'm saying? Like how profound of of an impact that just had on his presence as being like one of the most popular child, you know, like show stars besides like mr rogers at the time i mean well i'm conflicted about it because i I, my whole life i thought it was completely unfair i always thought it's so messed up that he got canceled and that his career was totally destroyed for him allegedly masturbating in an adult theater which is what people do in adult theaters that's like why they exist and i've Anyone who's been to Amsterdam or I mean, there's an adult theater right down the street for me. I mean, this is what people do. Um, on the other hand, again, I just think of like the zoomed out perspective, like a woman. It would just be like funny if like women went to adult theaters and masturbated in them. It's like just such a different thing to think about. But again, like I, I, I always thought it was messed up. I never really understood why that was OK, that he was just like totally discarded. He was such an important figure and the show was such a huge part of our childhood. It just seemed really messed up. It's like I could see it if he whipped his dick out in any other circumstance, <laughs> like obviously, but yeah. it was just and plus like, I mean, he denies it, of course, but I mean, he was in the theater like I don't you know if you're masturbating or not, like you're in an adult theater. That's what people do. I I, I literally thought that that's like was allowed in those places. I mean, yeah, I guess they say you're technically not supposed to, but of course that's mm-hmm. what they're designed for. It's yeah. The whole thing is, is weird. You know, it almost, I wonder if there, it, it was like a setup, like was someone trying to take him right. down? I don't know. The, the thing, the whole thing is weird. He also got investigated again, like in the nineties for 
like child pornography because of um that other actor from Beetlejuice actually getting arrested for trying to photograph an underage boy naked. Uh, the 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 principal in Ferris Bueller, yes, yeah, I the guy with red name. hair. He uh, really did. I mean, he had scores of child porn. Pa- Paul Rubens got dragged into that, and how how did he get dra- because, just because I guess, of his prior pre- previous like affiliation with? You know, I don't know the exact connection of it, but I think it had something to do with like him t- telling on him somehow, and telling mm. the poli- like name dropping him. Oh my and, god! And Paul Rubens had a collection of. Uh, like I guess like uh, like antique like erotic like pictures like from all like dating back like you know all the way all the way to like the early 1930s or something and so the the police were trying to claim there was child pornography in there but it's like a lot of that stuff I mean this is a weird thing for people who probably don't realize this but a lot of those magazines back in the day like laws were different and things like were like you're not, you're not, there's no law that says you have to burn copies of antique pornography that was made in like the 1940s. And like, it, it seemed like a reach, basically what I'm saying for them to try to go after him for that. Well, it was um, a for- mess because he was sentenced to three years probation. He pled guilty to misdemeanor obscenity charges because he couldn't, they couldn't get him on child pornography, obviously. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just sad because he, you know, and I believe him also that these photographs were just like art i mean it was just interesting like old art pictures of Mm -hmm. just like snapshots of different things i mean it was not it was he was just like for anyone to actually look at this collection and claim that it was sexual is laughable and that's why the charges were ultimately dropped but of course again it just is this further stigmatization of paul rubens as a person on top of the jerking off incident and one of the funny things that he had, just fun fact, in the the items that they confiscated was he had the Rob Lowe sex tape copy of it, which is fascinating to think that like there were a bunch of like weird underground VHS like mail order places where you can order things that were like banned VHS copies of of crazy things like that. Like that was like way before the Pamela Anderson sex tape because Rob Lowe got in trouble for that like in like the. I want to say like 87 or something, 88. That's amazing. Yeah. So like, but I mean, it is kind of, it. but if you go back like 20 years, I mean, I remember looking at mail order catalogs that still sold like Tracy Lord's, you know, porn video copies and she, she was underage and all those videos were basically determined to be illegal at a certain point. Like when it was revealed that she was only like 17, 16 when she was in a bunch of those, you know, huge production value porn movies. Um, so the, it was just a different era. I'm not saying that, and you know, actual harm to children should be excused in any way or underage exploitation. I'm just saying that, like, things are, di- are it's a different climate now. And, you know, I mean, having like a collection of old, ero- you know, old erotica uh, from like anti- like antique porn collection, to me, yeah, it seems like, a big stretch for the police to try to nab him for child pornography for that. And I'm sure that he was probably scared and did some, did some kind of plea deal just to make it go away because that is pretty, a pretty intense thing. Um, what do you do to fight that? It's horrifying. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, obviously it was true because he didn't get charged. I mean, he was, he was being honest about it. I don't know what the collection entailed, but 
That is hilarious that Roblo's porno was in there. I didn't even know Roblo was in a porn. Well, he he almost got kind of canceled out of Hollywood because he filmed a sex tape of him at age like 24 having sex with like two 17-year-olds on uh, on video. Like a like a like a threesome. How and, far we've come that now that actually propels your career. Yeah. Well, I mean in a way maybe to help propel his too in some weird yeah, way. Yeah, right. I don't know. Uh, now this is like the most famous person in the world is is only famous because she had sex on tape. It's pretty amazing stuff. Um, or what else are you gonna say about it? Oh, no, nothing really. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> much it. It's just like it's sad that that happened to Paul Rubens, and yeah, you know, people continue to give him opportunities, like and and hire him to like. He came back eventually and played Pee Wee Herman in a Netflix movie. I can't recommend it. I, I think it's actually a very, you know, it's kind of just seems like a throwaway thing that they did. But he's hilarious in like Reno 911, uh, the Reno 911 movie mm-hmm. he was in. Um, he was also in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original movie, not the TV show. And, and that was kind of almost like a comeback role for him. So me- I remember it was like the first time he was in anything really for that, like much screen time after the scandal that happened to him. Um, so it was, that was cool to see. And over the years he got roles like that, but he never really was, you know, in, in the spotlight, like he had been before. I mean, not nowhere even close to that. So it's too bad. Well, speaking of in the spotlight, um, us plebs living in the serfdom of society, very sad, Robbie, that our, that our tech overlords, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg were not able to have a modern day, like at literally the Roman Colosseum, the cage match that they promised us. Very sad that these overlords were not able to fight. Just completely appropriate for how cartoonish things have become that this was actually like floated as an idea. And I'm not surprised at all that it fell through because Elon Musk is a giant pussy and said that he had to have surgery after like hyping it up for so long. But like, Never, ever in my wildest dreams did I ever think I'd be rooting for Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> for anything, but I really wanted him to fuck up Elon Musk because he's like smaller than him. And I think it would have been the ultimate ego death for Elon to like actually get fucked up. But I should have known that it was all just, it was just all completely hype and just another way for Elon Musk to just get constant attention because he's such a little pampered baby. Um, but you followed all that stuff, right? I, I mean, I, I did, and <laughs> Closely, I re- wish sure. I did not even know about it. It's just so mortifying. You know, originally I was like mortified for Zuckerberg when he when video came out of him sparring at some gym <laughs> with some jujitsu partner uh, out of like Palo Alto, and I was like, I was like, this is really bizarre. Like, obviously, he wanted this to get out there. Like, videos of Mark Zuckerberg walking around Palo Alto don't. You know, you just don't see those very often. You saw it yeah. in Colin Hoback's original documentary where he had to like stay outside Mark Zuckerberg's house all night and wait for him to walk his dog in the morning. But people, there does seem to be kind of like a thing where it's like he he gets to have privacy out there and tries to act like a normal person. So he's sparring at this gym and, you know, I'm watching it. And I'm like, you know, I don't fucking know anything about mixed martial arts, but like when I'm watching like. He looks like he's actually trying, like he's, he's, you know, probably taking the lessons for some time, you know, even though it was still embarrassing to see it at all, like Mark Zuckerberg doing martial arts. I mean, cause how could it not be? And then when it, 
when it actually and I don't even remember what the how it even became this, but yeah, like a maybe a year later, uh, all of a sudden now there's this idea of Mark Zuckerberg fighting Elon Musk in some kind of organized. Well, cage let me match. explain how it, how, yeah, how it did happened. It go I want from- your I want your feedback on it. So Elon Musk responded to Threads, which is Zuckerberg's failed attempt to copy Twitter, but it's like not going anywhere and no one's on it. And it's kind of confusing about what, how do you even get on it and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, that's the blue sky. Sorry. There, there's so many competing things right now that are just so artificially like signal boosted that I don't even know what I'm talking about. Threads <laughs> is something that's just linked to Instagram now that anyone who has an Instagram account can just be on Threads. And okay. apparently it's like it ha- um, Musk is threatening to sue Zuckerberg over his attempt to copy like the IP from Twitter because he's like, this is just literally exactly like Twitter. You must have stolen engineers and just caught like made your own. Um, so in response to this happening, Elon Musk just I don't know if he was responding to like Ian Miles Chong or Andy No and just his typical re- reply guy fashion, just like at five in the morning you know, being like a very sad sack of shit in his house. But he just like replied to someone being like, I'm up for a cage match if he is. Um, And then Zuckerberg responded with a screenshot of his tweet and he was like, send me your location. And then like immediately that day, Mark Zuckerberg called Dana White, who's the president of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Wait, so to help Zuckerberg was the like, fight. Zuckerberg was already just like really like waiting. Like he was like, yes. almost seemed like he was just waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. fuck around, find well, out, that's motherfucker. Why, like, that's he already, why like, I like it. Because Elon, Elon Musk, Musk you no, know, I know I like it because I think that he, I think they do hate each other and it's just funny because it's just so stupid. But what's so funny about it is Mark Zuckerberg seriously wanted this to happen because, and what's, and it's amazing because Elon Musk is like very tall and a big giant oafish looking dude um and mark zuckerberg is kind of like this you know as you mentioned he's like actually been training (laughs) and it's as embarrassing as it is i still think that he could easily like fuck up elon musk and so it was just so funny that he immediately called his bluff and he was like okay i called like the president of like the mma or whatever to arrange this whole fight and then musk in his typical babyish fashion called Zuckerberg a cuck, said let's actually just measure our dicks against each other, which of course That came before that though. Oh really? Yeah. He was just saying all I think that's maybe even what made Mark Yeah. Well I was gonna say I just wanted to quickly jump in because I do think that Mark Zuckerberg was just probably just watching Elon Musk tweeting all the stuff about the fight and making all these jokes and trying to make memes about his dick. Like you said, he actually straight up just said let's take out our dicks and measure them. Yeah. Um Stuff like that. So Mark Zuckerberg is probably just thinking, like, why is Elon Musk not actually, like, doing anything to make this happen? He's just trying to make all these jokes (laughs) on Twitter. And then it seemed like he just – that's when he wrote that post saying, like, look, I've been the one trying to get this to happen. And he just seems like he's just fucking around and, like, not taking it seriously. So I'm just going to call it off until he wants to really do it. Well, yeah. Well, Elon Musk before that, he was like, he was like, um, I'm getting an MRI of my neck and upper yes, back yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yes. so He's he like, was may require surgery before the fight can happen. We'll know this week. It's trying like, to pull oh, out okay. in the most like embarrassing <laughs> way possible. And I, I don't understand. I mean, I get it that he's addicted to social media and he bought Twitter seemingly because he loves posting there. But what is he gaining from behaving this way on social media? I mean... <laughs> 
like what like ha- does he realize that people are favoring Mark Zuckerberg over <laughs> over him? Like the fact that he's even elevated Mark Zuckerberg in infinitesimal amount in anybody's <laughs> mind is like a crime. <laughs> he should realize how just awful that is in and of itself. Robbie, you have Elon Musk derangement syndrome. I do. It's true. <laughs> I love, I, dude. I love that so much. And I, I know. I love how Elon Musk is such a complete moron that that this whole like changing it to X is like. So is every URL that people have posted with a tweet going to be dead now because he's going to like change the name of the website? Like what? I it, it's just his stupid baby brained obsession with AI that he's just like thinks he's just so goddamn cool. To rename the site X and puts up this giant cartoon villain looking metal X that's like amplifying the the sunlight into people's apartment buildings right across from the Twitter headquarters. And it's like reminding me of the Seinfeld episode of the chicken sign yeah. that they put up and it blared the red light into Kramer's loft. It really is as absurd as that. It's like a strobe light in people's homes. Yeah, it was it was it just seemed like it was another joke i guess like on his behalf to be like ha like like i know san francisco is probably gonna like make me take this sign down but let me just you know get some like negative press for this and you know for someone who seems to get off on even getting negative publicity now he's not even doing a good job at that it's just like a dumb thing to do and but then again there's like a weird trumpian QAnon style energy that exists within his own fan base ecosystem where there was all these people being like Morse code. Don't you see it? Like with the flashing X and they're like, what is it saying? And they were like trying to decode it. And it's just like fucking, I can't even say the word, but that's, Oh my God. I know you want to talk about AI. Why don't you give us a little roundup before we talk about how I'll I'll be very brief. Yeah, Um, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to do any more episodes just about AI. You know, for our Patreon subscribers, I've done probably like three of them <laughs> in the recent months. So I just wanted to just do a really quick update on what's going on out there so people are aware. Um, probably the most like notable po- like thing that's kind of political that happened is uh, the company Zoom. Uh, they changed their terms of service quietly about... I think three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, saying that any content that goes through their services, which basically means like any doctors, well, actually a lot of doctors actually don't use Zoom these days, but like therapists do. Um, A lot of people do for like private therapy, couples therapy, um, and, you know, all sorts of private stuff goes through Zoom, but they put in their terms of service that it now will allow them to train uh, anything that's going through their networks uh, on uh, an AI with any information that they collect. So um, that's interesting to think about if other companies just all start adopting those types of terms of service, because if you think about it, that's really not that shocking of a leap compared to what they've already been doing. Like I'm surprised that's not already baked into a bunch of other companies terms of service already uh, because you know, but what what it, what kind of weird ethical implications does that bring up? Like that now any company can just use any data they collect from you to use your likeness or a 
AI trained on your likeness and millions of other people's likenesses to just create imagery, video, uh, or even voice analysis to like create fake voices. I mean, what, what are they using this for? Or, you know, Zoom claimed they were using it to train a language model, which means like a chat GPT style model. But what does that even mean? Like, what would they use that for? Like, and it just brings up a lot of strange ethical implications about the future again, because like so much therapy is done over Zoom that you would think, are they, you know, Zoom trying to capitalize on the fact that they have so much therapy happening on Zoom that they are going to make like a chat GPT therapist or attempt to make one? Like what is even happening here? Um, another interesting thing that happened, and this was like from about two months back, is a guy tried to, a lawyer um, defending his client in some kind of airline lawsuit or not defending, uh, I think he was um, like, whatever, I don't know what the right word for it is when a lawyer is representing a client who's suing a company. Um, but this lawyer uh, filed a document officially into the court to the judge who was overseeing this civil trial. And the document that he filed referenced several real airline court cases, um, about a half dozen court cases that had real sounding names versus real sounding airlines. Uh, the problem was the reference court cases that included numbers like docket numbers that he put into this document. He found a court do not exist. The, the people's names in these court cases do not exist. And the airlines do not exist either. So the man's explanation for why this happened and why he filed this, which technically is like a dis you can get disbarred. Uh, from being a lawyer if you do something this ridiculous. Uh, but he blamed ChatGPT for putting out false info, uh, and he just did not check. He simply believed that ChatGPT was like in the same way like an encyclopedia would work <laughs> and that it would spit out completely factual information. But I guess the even stranger part about this is why is ChatGPT giving out completely fake court name like legal cases like it's create it seems like chat gpt is creative enough to generate completely realistic sounding court cases even giving you a fake reference number to look up sometimes even giving you fake urls uh for example there's a pretty popular website that i won't name the name of that's that does anti-imperialism that got caught having an article that was referencing chat gpt generated fake urls because like they had asked, what was chat it about? What was the article about? It was like about something about that. Ukraine. Yeah, of and course. I think it was about maybe some aspect of Zelensky. No, uh, the guy who was running against Putin, who like got like, you know, claimed he got poison. Navalny. It was about mm -hmm. that guy. And the ChatGPT gave all these critical uh, articles out, like listed Guardian articles and all these references to seemingly real articles, including URLs that are just 404 era error non-existent urls like when this person asked that it about makes, navalny that makes almost less sense than the court cases because it's like when you're yeah, right. writing an article about something you would use links that are spit up by chat gpt to like cross-reference and read to to strengthen whatever you're writing you wouldn't just like fucking just hype like copy and paste hyperlinks that another source is giving you that is super strange i can almost see that like the the lawyer more than I could someone doing that for a news organ organization. Absolutely. That's pretty nuts, dude. It's very nuts.
So, um, I mean, it is super weird, the therapist thing, because, yeah, I mean, it's such a ethical dilemma that, but it's just like waved away by being like, well, it's not humans listening. So who cares? Yeah, but like, this is the thing. And, and it also just brings up, I mean, yeah, people will say that. And people will also say, well, the stuff it's generating, it's not, they're not going to make like a AI clone of my therapist, you know, who's using referencing all my real therapy sessions. And it's like, well, yeah, they probably won't do exactly that. But it's like they're if they're you know, if they are going to do something crazy like that, they're basically using all the data that like you talked about in therapy. And these these things are sophisticated enough to understand context, to completely transcribe audio now. So all this stuff is probably also being it's you know, if they're saying they're using a language model, that means they're transcribing it like that's also just surreal to think about that they have the resources to do even do that you know like i guess you know what is zoom working with do they have like just because that takes a lot of specific infrastructure to train ai you have to have like a bunch of computers basically working together to like running you know constantly um so i don't know it brings up a lot of strange strange ethical implications for sure I mean, it's just so gross how they've capitalized and exploited the solitary nature of how, you know, individualized we all are, especially amplified by COVID. And now everyone's like relegated to these realms of digital media where they're using things like Zoom way more to just do things that they would previously in person. And it just reminds me of like, it's the same thing with finding out that, I mean, it should have been obvious, I guess, from the get-go, but just like Gmail and all of these different email services that you're just like, it's all about your data. It's like, this is just seems like it's just the same thing, except it's more eerie because it's just a robot transcribing like the most personal divulgence that, that you're giving, like about your spouse, about yourself to your therapist. I mean, it doesn't get more personal than that. And so to have that be generated by some robot and be spit out for some data mining effort to use against us in the future is just like (laughs) that's just creepy as hell man yeah it is um and just really quickly i'll just go through a couple other things there's a really great article probably the most well-researched most extensive article i've seen on what the possibilities are right now with ai pornography like ai pornography images mostly um, even though some of it is video, most of it's just still images for now. Um, and the article is actually called Inside the AI Porn Marketplace, where everything and everyone is for sale uh, on a website called 404 Media, uh, written by someone named um, Abeba Ber- Berhain, I think is her name. Um, it's it's a really interesting article. It's particularly points to a website called Civit dot AI, um, that if you actually create like a login for this website, you'll actually see how much of it is specifically pornography. If you go to it without a login, you, it doesn't show you the pornography aspect of it, but it is kind of fascinating. If you just want to see what's already out there, that there are hundreds of models that people have already trained, like out into the wild, not run by companies that are specifically designed to create photorealistic nude imagery. And then on top of that, there's a bunch of models that are designed to create 
photorealistic images of all these different female celebrities, like completely without their consent, um, completely like not regulated or there's no laws specifically against this or anything like this right now. It, it seems to be only in the realm of civil lawsuits. Um, but this is already like flourishing online. These people claim that they're not making money off of this, even though the article points out that a lot of other people are already making money off of this. The only thing is, I guess it hasn't moved to the stage yet of like commercial services providing this, these kinds of images. It's all these independent, weirdly underground people who are generating them themselves on their computers and, you know, maybe trading them with each other too. in these, these underground networks. So the article does a good job of going into all that and just how strange it is that, you know, this is already so out into the wild and so out of control that how would you actually stop it at this point? People would just have to sue, you know, in the same way you would sue against like revenge porn or porn without your consent of you being put out there. Um, So I don't know if you have any comment on that, but it's a, I mean, it's just so disturbing that we were talking about is anyone up that revenge porn website? Yeah. I mean, it ruins people's lives and this is just like, the same thing that we talk about all the time with the the capabilities of like deep fakes or these auto-generated AI images that can just take any woman and make them appear naked. Mm-hmm. It, it can ruin your fucking life. It can end your career without it even being real this time. I mean, it already posed that threat of just being able to hack your phone or some scorned lover posting your shit on the internet without your consent. But now it's like gotten to such crazy levels that you could just do that anyway to someone. Yeah, and I mean, it brings up implications about a whole lot of other things, too. I mean, eventually, it's going to be very easy to choose, like, a very realistic-looking style, you know, like, candid, hidden cam, make it look like it was filmed on a old iPhone photos, make it look like it was filmed on CCTV. People do pretty much in any compromising situation. I mean, not just in a pornographic, you know, sexual situation, Um so it is it is a very disturbing prospect. And one last thing, I wanted people out there who are curious about this tech and who may be even jaded or skeptical that it's as powerful as I describe it on some of these podcasts. Sometimes I'll get replies from people. They'll be like, oh, you know, you're really overhyping this stuff. It's really not that good. Like those music examples you played of this AI generated music sound like shit. Like you're getting way too excited about this stuff. <laughs> um, so I feel like I always have to kind of convince people that it is as as scary and as crazy as I say it is. And one example of that that's accessible right now, and you may have to create a login on this website, but it's a website called Replicate uh, that allows you to run a bunch of these AI demos and also run them on high-grade processors that actually make them go fast. If you just pay you know, a little bit of money, you can actually get access to the servers and, and you know, log in and run these demos on good processors. And one of those demos that they have on there is called Roop. It's spelled R-O-O-P, if you want to look it up. And it is probably the world's very first publicly accessible, because I'm sure these other people who have tech tech like this behind the scenes, but publicly accessible, one-click, instant deepfake, realistic deepfake software um, invented. And it is now available and anyone could use it, and there doesn't seem to be any restriction of how you can use it, except for a little disclaimer at the bottom that says don't use famous likenesses 
to to run this demo, even though the demo video they show when you go when you log on the webpage shows Keanu Reeves replacing uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's face in Terminator Two. So that's the example they show. So it's like they're like basically encouraging you to just do whatever. And I was posting examples on Twitter if people want to go check out how realistic it looks of replacing Obama's face with Jeffrey Epstein, Vin Diesel, and uh, Denzel Washington over a fairly recent Obama speech. One click, pretty much instantaneous, takes less than a minute to create like 30-second long videos of, of face replacement now. Um, so pretty pretty bizarre that we're already there. And I don't know if they're gonna we're going to start seeing iPhone apps that let you do that perfectly. But the fact that it's already just a web app is already crazy enough. Dude, that is wild. Yeah, I saw you posting that, and it really is incredible how fast this has gone. Where like six months ago, I feel like the technology was just that was available was so much worse, and it was like, oh man, soon it's going to be perfected. And now, you know, just a couple months later, it's like you could completely fool someone. Yeah, um, with this app, um, it reminds me of I don't know if you've. If you're into Black Mirror, it's really bad now, but there yeah, it, there yeah, was I've a very good episode. I thought the Jonah's Awful one was very good. Yeah, um, that was good, yeah. And it just reminds me, it was episode one of the newest season, 2023. If you're going to watch any of them, just check that one out because it's just this woman whose name is Joan. She just like sits down to watch Netflix and it's a show called Joan is Awful. And it's basically just like an algorithmically created show uh, portraying her life played by Salma Hayek, but Salma Hayek isn't even really acting in it. It's just an AI rendition of her likeness yeah. that she sold to the company to just make a, like a, like just a fake AI generated actress in whatever you just feed her a script and she spits it out. And so it's all like real time simulation of this woman's life based on all of her data and like phone at the apps and everything like that, just like recording her and then, spitting it out and showing her yeah. her life. It's yeah. a very surreal episode. I thought it was just really good. Um, and that was, it just reminds me of like where this is all going. It's just like, how far is all this going to go? Well, that's the thing with like using somebody's likeness without their consent, even with their consent. I mean, what will this turn into eventually? I mean, the interesting thing that the interesting point this article makes, and maybe I could just read you one quote from the porn article because it, it it put it really well in an encapsulation that i mean this is kind of pretty much the outro to the article but it's it's i thought it was extremely well written it says an ai porn singularity has already occurred an explosion of non-consensual sexual imagery that's seeping out of every crack of internet infrastructure if you only care to look and we're all caught up in it celebrities big and small and normal people Images of our faces and bodies are fueling a new type of pornography in which humans are only a memory that's copied and remixed to instantly generate whatever sexual image a user can describe with words. I mean, that is very, wow. very fascinating thing that like, just to think of, you know, we think of our faces and our likenesses as this like sacrosanct private, you know, we own the rights to it kind of thing. But like, do we? I mean, like, in just in an overall general sense, like, or is it just only these famous people that really actually have their, you know, their likenesses protected? I would say that regular people pretty much don't, I don't think there's really any, like, civil rights that, that 
are like are like creating a significant bulwark against that in general. I mean, it is it is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Well, they're still they're, struggling with with revenge porn laws across this country, mm-hmm. let alone like adapting to this technology. I mean, we don't are we're run by such dinosaurs. I don't even understand how the internet works at all. It's like there's not going to be anything to protect us from this. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, I guess civil lawsuits and just like, you know, if if someone's crazy enough and determined enough to try to like, you know, take you down by using like AI technology, you know, they, I guess it would be more uh, it just Somebody could already do that without AI technology. If someone is crazy enough and focused on a specific person enough, that's already can be done. So I guess it just mat, you know, I guess be more worried about some someone who's just already that right, crazy. Right, right, right. Rather than this technology because the technology will just make it easier to do. We're still not there yet where, you know, you have to be someone almost like me or someone who's actually like paying attention to this stuff on a weekly basis to even know that this stuff is out already because like i said it's not commercial it's not you know in well like yeah like said, like you say that we need to be worried about the nefarious people that are that have their hands on technology like this yeah. and, and until we deal with stalkers and crazy people who are who are dedicated to like ruining people's lives and they'll just do anything to make that an easier thing yeah i mean that's who's going to abuse stuff like this yeah i mean and there's already people you know, who prey on, uh, for example, um, obituaries, like sca- international scammers now have picked up this new technique. And it's, I don't even think it's that new where they, they troll obituaries on the internet because they're like all on the internet now. And even like, f- you know, funeral homes will post like, uh, things where people will sign the guest book and stuff. And you could troll those if you're a scammer and, Basically, pre- like a bunch of these scammers pretend to be the funeral home or pretend to be like the the uh, graveyard p- like place where the body is buried to basically try to shake down the people for more money for their recently deceased like spouses or relatives and pr- pose as these funeral homes, sometimes even using sp- spoof phone numbers. So people who already do go to elaborate lengths like that just to scam poor elderly people whose spouses have recently died. I mean... They don't need to employ technology like this. So I think it is going to be more like the crazier individual, you know, or even places like uh, intelligence agencies or agencies or entities that do things like intelligence um, and do like counterintelligence. I mean, that these tools will be really useful for people like that. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they've been using tools like this for a very long time and, you know, more rudimentary forms, but... Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it is it is a really wild west feeling kind of thing, and I like to think to compare it to something like three D printing. It's like as soon as three D printed guns became a a scary controversy out there, a lot of people I think started having like a misunderstanding of like how, in a lot of ways, like three D printing really democratizes certain aspects of like manufacturing. You know just on like a general level, like the concept of it, being able to do that. And that's something I think that, you know, the, the 3D printed guns thing scare people because like, oh, they're so powerful. You can actually also print guns. And it's like, well, yeah, there is going to be technology that is going to be a double-edged sword in the sense that you can do harmful things with powerful tech. 
that puts things to democratizes the ability to like manufacture things among the populace. And I guess ethically speaking, I'm willing to have things like that available for those risks to exist as long as that technology is meant to like democratize things among like everybody, like not something that a technology that only exists for a certain group of people. It's like, do you only want the CIA to be the, the only group that's able to make like instant deep fakes? Or do you want also just like artists everywhere to be able to like do something like that? I mean, that would save a lot of people money on like special effects labor, you know, intensive manual labor that I, I can't say, you know, yeah, a lot of VFX artists probably have a lot of creative mindset behind what they're doing. But then there's also like busy work for them too, where it's like someone having hired by you know, fucking company to do a deep fake of somebody, they're not pouring their creative soul into like, you know, realigning an actor's face with another person's face that can be done with a fucking app. Like, why shouldn't we also have access to that? Um, so I guess that's my philosophy behind it, even though it does present scary possibilities. It, it does. It undeniably does. But like, why should we basically ban something like that from existing? You know, it, it, it just seems to, I, I am not for doing that, I guess is what I'm saying. Although I'm against someone using someone's image in a, like a sexual, you know, pornographic picture without their consent. Like that is, uh, that does seem harmful, um, you know, but like if they're doing it on their own computer and they're just like a creep doing it for their own amusement, I, I don't, I, I guess I don't think that they should be arrested for that, um, you know, but then. You know, what about people who are making child pornography with AI? Um, that's already illegal. Like, even if you're doing it, you know, not putting it online, like there's already laws against making simulated child pornography for the purpose of, uh, you know, producing it, it. Like if you're not doing it in like a like a movie that's supposed to be like I have like a crazy extreme scene where a kid's getting assaulted or something. That's different context. I'm talking about actually creating completely unclockable like stuff for pedophiles or if you yourself are a pedophile making stuff for that reason that's already illegal so i just want to have on a crazy tangent there i might end up editing some of that out just so i don't sound insane <laughs> but if you have i don't know if you have any comments on that Abby, before we move on no i mean i i agree with most of what you said i mean i i don't know how i feel about the pornographic stuff but um let's move on to the fires yeah, so um, the this is technically one of the most uh, highest death tolls for a wildfire um, in modern history, like specifically in the United States, uh, and it's it's really disturbing in a way to think that. I mean, I guess just for me, I never imagined that Maui or any part of Hawaii would experience like this devastating of a fire like this. Um, it just seems completely out of the realm of possibility to me. I never would have imagined it. I mean, Pacific Northwest parts of California, other parts of the country, but Hawaii is just really shocking. And uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I see you've written a lot here in the notes. So if you, if you want to take it away, go ahead. Cause I'm, yeah, I need to get my bearings for a second because it is really disturbing to even just think about it. Yeah, Robbie, it is really devastating. It 
apparently is the largest death toll in over 100 years. And when natural disasters like this happen and then it kills so many more people than it should because of a convergence of different things that came together and um, and caused this horrific tragedy, it's just devastating in so many ways. I mean, still... Several weeks after the fires, there's still like hundreds of people unaccounted for. What was sad about that is that a lot of them are indigenous Hawaiians who like some of them didn't even have paved roads and stuff. Um, And so a lot of people just only knew like first names of some of these people. So it's hard to track down John or Mary or whatever, like down in this one area. They've narrowed it down to 300 full names that are missing, like over 300 full names, not like 350 or something like that. And there's still a lot missing, but then it still doesn't account for like this, you know, the 700 more Mm -hmm. that we have no idea. Like, have they been cross-referenced? Have we found out their last names? Like there's still a lot um, left to be known. And it's really, really horrific. You see some of these images of, people in the middle of the ocean holding on for dear life, holding on to their children while fire is burning all around them. Absolutely devastating um, footage, Robbie. Instead of looking at the fires as we should look at them, which is as cataclysmic effects of like colonization, um, privatization, and climate change. And like, you know, people in Hawaii always say that tour like it's like tourism and militarism and and just their battle for like resources as indigenous people living there instead of looking at it like that going back to just conspiracism and how toxified the discourse has become especially on twitter now the alternative theories have taken up the most space i would argue much more than anything that's valid or true or anything related to environmentalism When you look at like corporate media, yeah, that stuff is talked about. Not nearly enough. I mean, I had to go to like Democracy Now! and Jacobin and things like that to find out really, you know, how disaster tourism and like the plantation history of this area really played a role in how devastating the fires became. Unnecessarily so. Um, But really, when you look at social media, if you're just simply looking up Maui fire, and this was happening several weeks after... It was completely dominated by just horrible conspiracy theories about direct energy weapons showing just simply lightning in the sky and saying, what is this strange light? I mean, posting videos that were altered, posting videos from other countries from several years ago. I mean, the list goes on and on about what people were posting, saying that it was from Maui. But I saw plenty of people just posting simple lightning strikes um, from the actual hurricane itself saying, what is this? It's fucking lightning, man. It's not that complicated. And then um, even Tim Pool suggesting that like Chinese authorities were doing some sort of like secret laser testing above Maui. Yeah, there was some news story from like a year ago alleging that there was some light display in the sky above Hawaii that was like coming from China. And I don't know if it was actually coming from China or what it was, but he was he was basically insinuating that there's something weird about that in connection to the fires. I mean, so he was like, I mean, yeah, no, pretty, pretty insane thing to put out there. 
He um, was. Yeah. He was. And it, and so if you type in Maui Fires, it's not even if to type in direct energy weapons. If you just type in Maui Fires, you'll get this overwhelming results of just hundreds of thousands of engagements and promotion of just countless videos. I mean, helped by them being verified and signal boosted by Twitter Blue. It, it's eerily similar to this, just the space beam shit from 9-11, clouding really anything that you could talk about with that. This whole right wing generated like outgrowth of conspiracism about climate change that has delved into just ludicrous, absurd shit like DEUs, DEWs mm-hmm. causing fires. And this goes back to the fires in Northern California. This goes back to Australia. This is like any time in recent history that there has been massive wildfires um, because of just the worsening conditions of climate change and how much more dramatic these weather events are. It just all goes back to... It's this broader agenda. It's DWs. It's because of now post-COVID. Now it's tied in to um, Agenda 21 and these 15-minute cities that they're trying to implement, Robbie. The World Economic Forum is trying to implement mm-hmm. a 15-minute city. Um, and I want to talk about exactly what that is because it's it's hilarious how these John Birch Society ideas – payrolled by billionaire-funded think tanks, weapons contractors, right-wing oil barons, all pushing forward this idea that it's somehow counterculture and anti-deep state politic to just pose the most crazy shit about, like, just simple ideas about sustainability that are Mm -hmm. put forward by, like, global organizations. They're non-binding. I mean, all this shit, if you really look at what Agenda 21 is and what this idea of a 15-minute city, it's like it's it's pretty much like innocuous ideas of just urban development. I've been to um, the climate change conferences. I went to one in Stockholm, Sweden. I know what is said there. It is a lot of just patting yourself on the back, a lot of discussions. There's nothing that ever comes out of this that is legal or binding or demanding any country to actually implement any of these things. It's like these people know that they have to talk about climate change, right? Mm-hmm. They they know that they have to come forward in the IPC, IPCC report and be like, hey, why don't we just try to achieve net zero and, and all pat ourselves on the back and then go home and talk about how what corporations are going to do to save us. And nothing is coming out of this that is even remotely signifies like any sort of global control or agenda that is going to be implemented that's going to take away your personal freedom. But it's all in this meta conspiracy framework of like the great reset that all of these people just happily lap up and participate in. Um, So when you look at like the 15 minute city, I mean, all the World Economic Forum has done is like repost a couple articles that talk about this concept. The concept is essentially just an idea about like air pollution measures and and calming traffic and making things more attainable, especially because people are more isolated, desolate. There's food deserts and stuff like that, like in a lot of these like rural areas. And it's like the idea of just making things more accessible, making things more bikeable and walkable. That That's actually a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's like become this total meltdown from the Alex Jones, John Birch Society people who just have have just glommed onto that idea that how dare this international body even assert that we need to be taking things into consideration like overconsumption, um, population growth and like traffic. 
I mean, it's just so effing stupid. And it's like people like Jordan Peterson, he he's intertwined this idea of like the 15 minute city with a climate lockdowns are going to happen. Oh, my God. That the the tyrannical bureaucratic elites are going to make everyone locked in their homes, eating bugs Uh and not able to drive like their Hummers to the grocery store. Um, so it's just absolutely insane. I mean, literally what it is, is just people paying lip service to the idea of sustainable concepts without doing anything or enacting any legislation or plans whatsoever. Uh It's like, so, I mean, if anything, you should be mad at that, that there's like nothing actually happening. It's just more corporations just benefiting off like greenwashing and like just rhetorically framing things about sustainability it's like what the military is doing right now with like greening itself Mm -hmm. but um but when you also look at agenda 21 because i've heard this for 20 years like alex jones has been ranting and raving about agenda 21 forever and i hear people constantly say like well what about agenda 21 what agenda 21 is floated out there in 1992 at the UN Conference of Environment and Development in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And so George H.W. Bush at the time and leaders of 177 other nations, that's when they signed Agenda 21. And I know none of us like the Southern Poverty Law Center, but I thought they had a good quote about what it was, which is this, quote, At the time, Agenda 21 was seen as a perfectly sensible planning paper, a non-binding statement of intent aimed at dealing with sustainability on an increasingly crowded planet. But since then, Agenda 21 has been transformed into a secret plot to impose a totalitarian world government and a nefarious effort to crush freedom in the name of environmentalism. And it's not just people like the John Birch Society and Alex Jones denouncing this. It's been folded in, like a lot of other things have been, folded into the just the generic Republican National Committee. They passed a resolution denouncing Agenda 21 as a, quote, destructive and insidious scheme that is meant to impose a, quote, socialist, communist redistribution of wealth. (laughs) So, again, Agenda 21 is not a treaty. There's no law. There's no enforcement mechanisms. There's no penalties and there's no actual funding for it. There's this hysterical, hyperbolic fear of even the language of sustainability. If there's anything beyond, like, forget about the domestic level. If anyone on the international level, any world leaders coming together to, like, even mention these things, there's just this immediate idea that just takes root, that it's under the confines and controls of tyranny and globalism. But when you really look at what globalism is, is global capitalism and global empire, and we're already living under the confines and controls of that. Exactly. That's what's so fascinating about turning that into like a populist idea. It's, I guess I'll just pose a question to you. If you had to take one guess, just speculating who would be benefiting the most from and who might even be helping perpetuate completely inane conspiracy theories about directed energy weapons causing the fires in Maui. Um, if they, you know, like, like who would, who would be because, I mean, to just muddy the waters, like if that was the goal, to muddy the waters and make it so that people don't, you know, know what to think or just gravitate towards the most extreme theory. I mean, a lot of people could. I mean, just the Republican Party could. Um, but I think oil giants specifically benefit the most because anything that can 
detract from the the issue at hand, which is climate change, the fact that fossil fuels such a danger and impediment to the planet. I think that the oil giants, big oil, with their billions of dollars that are expendable to just so discontent online, I think that these people, who knows what the hell they're doing to insert possibly AI-generated comments mm-hmm. um, of of the DEW stuff. And I don't think it's just climate denial anymore. I think it's I think it's more crazy than that. It, you don't really get much out of just endlessly arguing about how climate change isn't real. I think what's more... Um, What's more satisfactory is just like a, a, just dropping a bomb like this DEW shit and just having it just spiral out of control and have the rhetoric go so off the fucking rails that we're not even debating climate change anymore. Now it's like, no, it's the elites doing this directed energy weapon to so they can implement t- a climate yes, change agenda. Yes. And here's yes, what's interesting. Yes. Vivek Ramaswamy, who we're going to talk about in the next podcast he actually made a distinction in the sort of MAGA line on climate change, which is that climate change is a hoax. He specifically said in the debates, the climate change agenda is a hoax. It's like a actual strategic tweak in the messaging to try to get some kind of new bit, maybe more strong position on whatever they're you know trying to do. So I thought that was an interesting rewording of it because I've heard some people say that wording before, but to hear a politician say it, I thought was was fascinating. Um, but going back really quick to the BP oil, uh, the Horizon um, oil tank, or not tanker, but um, oil derrick rig, whatever the fuck you call it, explosion, disaster, subsequent spill. Um, like, imagine if back then, instead of BP hiring weird shady groups to intimidate people online out of like talking about it and covering it? What if instead they just flooded the internet with stuff about how it was like a weird conspiracy by like the WEF to like spend more money on like ocean preservation or something? I mean, that would, in some ways that would almost work better than if they're just straight up trying to get people to intimidate people online. Exactly. I mean, cause it, cause it's, it blew back on them. It's like, that was a story. Yeah. And that got revealed. But this is like untraceable, anonymous accounts spreading this. And nobody would ever believe it. Nobody would right. ever. Be- nobody even wants to believe that Trump and his people were dabbling with QAnon. Like nobody still wants to believe that. But it's like, well, believe that shit and believe that corporations probably understand that this tactic is really helpful. I mean, the world of conspiracy theory online now is completely poisoned. It's there's there's almost nothing in it anymore unless you've been following specific researchers and people like going back decades to like really scrutinize their work. There's really nowhere you can turn now. It's all fucking completely like ruined or just just are, you know, just a toxic landscape of nonsense that seems like it's just a distraction from more real pressing issues and not even just climate change, but like. If you know, did the power companies maybe initiate this fire in Hawaii, and are they trying to cover it? Right. Up? Is the government of Hawaii trying to trying to cover up things for some particular reason to hide their own malfeasance? There's a lot of questions that need to be raised, and then also just the general, more deep philosophical question of: Would you listen to authorities if your family, if you were separated by you? yourself separated from your family and they were in a zone where like the police were saying, you cannot go in there. You're not allowed to go in. Would you listen? And I think that 
people watching this are maybe thinking or having to think about that question. And I think honestly, from my perspective, I wouldn't listen. I would try to find a way to still rescue my family. And that, and that apparently there have been situations happening in Maui that have been like that, where people cannot find their family members. And basically, you know, there's so little communication and public outreach by the Hawaii government there that it's like people don't know, they're just confused and infuriated uh, with all these like roadblocks and the way that the authorities have been acting down there. I mean, there doesn't even really seem to be a real rescue effort. It It's very crazy. In fact, one of the only quote unquote rescue efforts done that I saw publicly was that they put out a thing of like 300 missing people's names, asking them to contact the Hawaiian like authorities if they you know, were not missing or if their family members knew that they were alive. So it's, it's really bad. 300 missing people. I mean, at least, and some people are even saying that the death toll is like far, far worse. Um, people who are not crazy conspiracy theorists, but people who are just there seeing this firsthand think it's, it could be even up to a thousand people by the time they're done counting this. And I mean, I don't know if that's accurate, but that's, it's really, really crazy to think about. That's absolutely horrifying. I mean, you mentioned Vivek Ramaswamy, and I think it is really interesting that he said that the climate change agenda is a hoax. All the Republican candidates for president did not raise their hand when they were asked point blank, do you believe climate change is real? And that's when he responded in the way that he did. And and I think it really just speaks to how powerful this rhetoric is, that it has gone up to the Republican Party, Tucker, Trump, I mean, all of these right-wing cutouts that are at the top of our government, um, they all repeat this, this global control narrative. Mm-hmm. And it is just so infuriating that any anything now that you talk about sustainability um, is now seen as this globalist plot. It was also really upsetting that we posted a couple exclusive clips from Earth's Greatest Enemy on Patreon of climate scientists that we're not including in the film, Robbie, because we just realized that it's not... There's been plenty of films on climate change. We shouldn't waste any time in the film trying to prove that climate change is real. It's like you're either going to enter the film believing it or not. Like to make the case for it is going to waste time. And that's not what the intent of the film is. It's an entire movie. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. And so we, we decided to not include any of the climate scientists. So we're putting them out just as like Patreon exclusives. And the amount of responses. I mean, sadly, with with Empire Files audience, which I thought were more, you know, critically thinking, more intellectually based people that were not in the vein of like Alex Jones people. But those people definitely came out of the woodwork, dude, because like at least 50 percent of the comments were just straight up people saying climate change isn't real, trying to do the whole old school, like climate's always changing, the carbon used to be much yeah. higher, the earth used to be a ball of molten lava. But then you had plenty of people being like harp and geoengineering are responsible, just straight up. Oh my God. And it was just like, wait, what are you talking about? And and it and in it, Patreon really, in Patreon specifically? Like No, it, no, thank God, not in Patreon. But I mean like Instagram and okay. Facebook and Twitter. But it's like yeah. these people were following Empire Files. They weren't just random accounts that you had latched on. Like, yeah. And it and yeah. I think it's representative of just how insane our society is that people lapping up actual big oil propaganda thinking that it's counterculture to do so without realizing they're the marks, dude. They are the marks. And case in point of what you're talking about, this shit does come from the oil lobby. According to Wired, 
quote, campaigners linked to the fossil fuel industry, actual fossil fuel lobbyists, pushed the idea of a looming climate lockdown. So they're the ones who seeded this whole narrative of like there is going to be an impending climate lockdown, the whole eating bugs thing. People aren't going to be allowed to use their cars. People aren't going to be allowed to eat meat. People aren't going to be allowed to travel outside of their assigned districts. And this this gathered a lot of momentum, of course, with the whole World Economic Forum and the Great Reset stuff. And so they jumped on that and they have been seeding that. And the fact that that's already been linked and proven, it just proves the theory right there that this is all coming from oil the oil industry. Well, that's, I mean, that's a very fascinating thing because that's tapping into the sort of conspiratorial, paranoid, more libertarian leaning, like right wing mindset of like, you know, you don't, basically the, the sort of virtue signaling they do now about quote unquote lockdowns where they act like, right, right. It was like the end of civil rights as we know it, even though there were never like any literal lockdowns and none of those people during the time, like ever did anything really to to strongly fight against that. So, um, you know, maybe because they all lived in red states that were doing, imposing like policies like that as much. But it is, it, it does show you fascinating window into the fact that they know to tap into that mm-hmm. sort of more paranoid conspiratorial mindset and it's effective to do it. And I think we're going to see it more and more. And that's why I keep warning people, be careful which like conspiracies you latch onto in today's climate. Like, there's a certain timeline to this where it's like a lot of stuff like before the Trump era, you know, a lot of it was disinfo and a lot of it was bad, but you could still find some of those kernels of like, oh, this is like an actual real thing that's not been talked about. And why is that? And let's examine this. It's getting harder and harder to do that. Everything becomes a conspiracy instantly. Any big event becomes a conspiracy. I mean, that's how it that's how it happens these days. It's sort of the Sandy Hookification of like every, you know, traumatic event. Um, And it's, uh, I don't know if we're never going to, I don't think return back to what it was like before that. So I just think people need to keep that in mind now. And it's getting so dumb. Like I was looking, I was so infuriated looking at some of these accounts. For example, the people who were posting that it was a direct energy weapon were saying, look, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. Oh, does this look like a normal fire? Does this Abby, look like a normal fire? Well, Abby, how else do you explain the trees not being burned? <laughs> how do you explain like, only the blue houses being <laughs> intact? Because you saw that one, right? Where it was yeah, like of course. the the weapon was like calibrated to hit everything that like yep. wasn't blue. I don't know what the fuck they were saying or Or doing. like Oprah's house it's like even Oprah lives in like like a hundred miles away. It was like somehow her house wasn't yeah. targeted. It's like, okay. Every person who was commenting that wasn't just blindly agreeing with them being like, yeah, this is crazy. Obviously, it was a direct energy weapon. Every person who was disagreeing with them were like was either a fire victim survivor or like a literal firefighter who was just like, no, no, no. Like, this is exactly what fires do. But it just doesn't matter. The confirmation bias is so over the top that like a lot of them were just like, that's just your opinion. And this is my opinion. It's like, well, yeah, precisely. But, the, but this person lived through it. Like they, it's not just their opinion. They have lived experience that proves what you're saying is total horseshit. Like, don't you care about that? That like a hundred firefighters are like, this is totally insane. No. You're wrong. Take this down. I mean, of course and so. you know why? Cause it's the content creation capitalist rat race. People who get millions of hits just parroting this stuff, Robbie. And it's like, it's just the content, content, content. I don't. It doesn't even matter if they believe it or not. It, nothing matters anymore. No, and it and and what is even crazier is that direct energy weapons do exist. 
there are lasers and weapons out there. Like that, that is true. Of course, what doesn't help is seeing like people posting DOD clips of like, I don't, I don't know if it's a defense contractor or what, but talking about how the DOD is spending a billion dollars on direct energy weapons, including high energy lasers, talking about how they haven't perfected these weapons and they want to be able to use them in the future. And it's like, okay, that's all you need. That's all you need. So again, it's taking that seedling of like there is something like this that exists and then and then just applying it to being like yeah this is what's being used to start fires or like the jack posobiac thing being like climate change activists are purposely starting the fires well that was the old school narrative that even joe rogan uh pushed on his show that he had to, it was right after the spotify deal where he had to make his first like public apology since that deal where he was saying that antifa uh was responsible for some of the previous fires in California. I mean, that so that's it, it's just fascinating that all it seems to achieve really I mean it it you know, they people like act like they're they're talking about some kind of bipartisan agenda by the elites or whatever. But if you really dig deep into any of what these people actually think or, you know, their overall worldview, it is very weirdly partisan. Like they did not, you know, say these kind of things when Trump was in office or, or the, if they did, they would be like above his head or people would be trying to sabotage him. Like it was always, he was never responsible, you know? And it's like, in something like this, it's like, who are they saying is doing this? Is it like Biden? Uh, is it, you know, I, I just don't even understand how, what is going on here. I mean, you know, maybe I was naive at one point thinking that like, if you're able to see, you know, the full scope of like the evils that humans are capable of, then maybe you can like transcend sort of the partisan frame and be like, you know, even if you're crazy enough to think that the Hawaii fires are caused by directed energy weapon, maybe a part of me think, well, at least those people would be like smart enough to not think that like the Republican party or is like filled with all these like anti deep state <laughs> fighting heroes that are, you know, and Trump is going to save us, but they, they do. It's it, so it's almost like, when I say the QAnonification of like conspiracy culture, that's part mm-hmm. of what I mean is that somehow it's still all steered into one, it's funneled into one direction again, like just like the funneling effect we talked about on the previous episode, but it's like done with conspiracies. It's funneling you down this one specific direction, which is to think that Trump was trying to stop Epstein or kick him out of his club and he was never doing anything bad with him, but then all these other people were, it's like... How does that? How does that keep happening over and over and over again? Like, I don't know. It's just so fascinating. It it is incredible how this has happened and legitimized by like the most powerful people in the world. And it doesn't matter how bad climate change gets; it's always going to be explained away by these theories uh, from people who just continue to be in denial about it. And there will always be a huge industry of content creation that feeds off of this paranoia and conspiracism to just generate money. And that's the society that we live in. And if you look in reality of what actually was the root cause of the fires, and I'm going to make this really brief because we have part two to get to, baby. But if you look at what was the root cause of the fires, it's actually very depressing and sad. And um, in a way, it's very exciting to believe that you know China did it or that there's some sort of space laser that did it i i can see your brain wanting to think that because reality is actually much more bleak 
there was, you know, like you said, there was a power line that was downed and, and there's a lot of critiques going to the Hawaiian Electric Corporation that did not do their job similarly to PG&E starting so many goddamn fires with their antiquated wire system that they refused to upgrade. Um, but a, a big problem, obviously, <laughs> um, droughts and, and the, the severity of the fire was exacerbated by the extreme drought going on and the intensification of the fire was exacerbated by the monocrop system on the colonial landscape that completely transformed the island. Tell Basically, me a little bit about what that means. Yeah, so um, so Hawaii, you know, back in the 1800s, Hawaii was just turned into like several plantations for like pineapple and sugarcane by big rich barons that mm-hmm. essentially just enslaved the indigenous Hawaiian population. Um, they were slave plantations. Isn't one of the islands in Hawaii like essentially still completely dominated by Dole? Like it doesn't it still have... I remember hearing that growing up. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but like, like I wouldn't be surprised. Not one of the ma- the ones the household name was one of the right. more obscure islands. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, the, what they did. I mean, the 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 power of the plantations became so big that they overthrew the Hawaiian kingdom, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other story we're going to tell in our documentary, um, which is really nuts because it was like internationally recognized as a sovereign nation and. Um, it's actually really crazy that these plantations did this giant coup. Um, and what, what happened is that they just hollowed out the entire landscape. I mean, they, they diverted all of the water that used to serve everyone in the community to the plantations, of course. I mean, that's like obvious. Um, but they also just replaced all of like the wetland and like what was once just the breadbasket of the community, all of these fisheries, local fisheries and like, you know, just like Pearl Harbor. I mean, it was called Pearl Harbor because it was like literally the breadbasket of that entire region full of like oysters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was just dredged up to create this huge port. And now it's just a polluted, toxic waste zone where there's just signs everywhere saying don't fish and like a like a dead fish, with like a red X on it. Um, so it's a super fun site now. But what Lahaina, I mean, Lahaina is just the same thing, where, which was this indigenous area that was completely burned to the ground. I mean, it's because all of this, this wetland was just excavated and replaced with this like artificial arid grass that was super dry. Um, and it was all, it was just all this invasive grasses that came and took over like what, what was once supposed to be just like naturally working with the, the wetland, which... Mm-hmm you know, had like a natural resistance to things, resistance to things like this in conjunction with just like the worsening effects of climate change, like the drought and the the crazier hurricanes that have like really devastating like winds and storm capacity now. And so it was just all this shit that that converged. Meanwhile, this really sad story that I read um, of just the disaster capitalism going on. This is from The Guardian, you know, the whole disaster capitalist model that Naomi Klein outlines about how like corporations just come in during the most extreme moments of collective trauma and despair, like in in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. Like they just completely fucking bought like at pennies on the dollar all the schools and just privatized them all like. I mean, there was op-eds basically from Milton Friedman at the time being like, we're going to do this. This is a great time. Like literally weeks after Hurricane Katrina being like, this is a great time to reform Louisiana's like education system. It's like, how are you even thinking about this shit, dude? So this is this is what happened in the wake of Maui fires. 
is it's a really sad story and it's so emblematic of just like indigenous people everywhere trying to fight for just the very few resources that they still have. Native Hawaiians have been fighting for decades to try to regain some control over like the sacred resource of water to the point where they've had all these community meetings over the last several years trying to say, like testifying, being like, I'm bathing my babies in like a bucket because we have no running water. It's like fucking like they don't even have paved roads to some of these areas, you know, and they have to like collect water from I don't even know where they're getting water from, but they've been completely cut off at the source because of all these like giant tourism, like whatever the former plantations were have just been replaced by these huge like tourist resorts and stuff, luxury resorts. And so all these residents are like have been trying to fight tooth and nail to get access to water. And so there was this huge fight. They finally got like the deeds or whatever. They, they like won this long fought battle to get more access to water, Robbie. And they were all submitting these applications after like fighting for years and years to get this the day before the fires happened. Damn. The day before the fires happened, they submitted all of these applications and like all of like the paperwork to finally make this go through. And then, of course, immediately after the fires, the governor declares an emergency is like, OK, all of this is just like totally done and we're just giving like unlimited access to all the water to these corporations and then the the corporations had the audacity and the politicians had the audacity in maui to blame these activists yeah for like the restrictions of like the water well the right wing was also blaming them too i mean that's the only that's how i heard of what you're the story you're talking about because they follow so many right-wing assholes that like i first saw the smear campaign against this group like informing me of this story in the first place so again once again it again feels like it could just be another like yeah like it's just playing into the same ecosystem that we we spoke about earlier yeah and i I saw that too i saw some idiot some guy was trying to tell me i should debate this guy who writes a stub a sub stack his latest sub stack post was how the woke agenda is what caused the Maui fire. Oh, Ma- Michael Schellenberger. Like, yeah, there you go. Michael Schellenberger is was handed exclusive Twitter files by Lima. Extremely suspicious individual. Amazing. Who also Absolutely has recently amazing. claimed that he has over like 50 personal whistleblower stories that he's holding back about like UFO encounters like within oh, the military. Oh, awesome. And it's like very, very sus activity. Very cool. You, um yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to debate this guy about that. Like, yeah, sounds like a great debate. And I read his Substack, and it was just trash. I mean, it was just insinuating that these activists somehow were responsible for like withholding water and didn't. And it's like, OK, if you what's cartoonish about this? Can we just all like take a step back and look at how cartoonish this argument is? If you're looking at the Hawaii fires, it's surrounded It's a fucking on the coast, surrounded by an ocean. Like, why couldn't the helicopters pick up seawater? Like, well, I don't understand this whole, like, you didn't give the firefighters enough water because the activists were trying to, like, re, like, like, lobby the water commission agency to give them water. It's just like, dude, how, like, it's just, it it is absolutely insane when you really, like, look at how this is just completely illogical and cartoonishly stupid. But again, once these narratives take hold, like, you can't really penetrate them and they've just... Now it's just dominating the entire right wing media landscape that this is somehow was the cause of the Hawaii fires. And this is why they got so bad, because of these greedy activists, Robbie, these native Hawaiians that just wanted to bathe their children in a bathtub. Mm -hmm. 
So that's yeah. where we're at. Um, disaster capitalism has now taken over. And now you have like land, like real estate developers who are cold calling the residents days after the fires saying, sell your ancestral lands for pennies on the dollar, baby. Don't wait for compensation from the bureaucratic elites. Sell your land to us. Um, and in desperate times, there will desperate measures will be taken where a lot of these people are going to fucking sell their land because they need money. Yeah. And Biden's, you know, you know what Biden did. So, oh, yeah. Tell well, why don't you just tell him? I mean, it was pretty generous. What did he do? Yeah. I mean, he well, it was very generous for him to be golfing, similarly to Bush saying, watch this drive um, after someone asked him about Hurricane Katrina, uh, kind of in an eerily similar situation. Biden is just golfing and he's asked by a reporter about or was he at the beach? I'm sorry. I forget. I, he might as well have been golfing at the beach. He but. was. I think he was said he was like doing. He he said he had been like uh, do like training for the last two hours. And like I think he was like exercising. Oh. If I'm thinking of the the clip that you're talking, just about. roiding up with RFK. I guess so. Um, yeah, but so he's just like you know just laughs it off essentially. Someone was just like, "Do you have any comment for the devastating wildfires in Maui?" And he was just like, "No." Yeah, I don't. What is he gonna say, dude? I mean, it's no, like, it's pretty bizarre. It's like he's not even trying to be to be presidential at all. Even Trump would have said something more presidential sounding in that moment. I mean, it, it's almost surreal that Biden is does not seem to give a fuck. I mean, I, I almost think that's more. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't seem to be having cognitive decline and like weird you know, cognitive issues, but it also just seems like, like letting him off the hook. Give a fuck. Yeah. It's like yeah. letting him off the hook to be like, Oh, he's just senile. It seems it's like, like, no, he doesn't he... give a yeah. shit. And like, right. And it's, it just seems pretty evil to like, not saying that presidents who are able to act presidential aren't evil in these situations, but it's like, you can't even bother. Like well, that, that says, that says a lot in of itself. It's strange. I find it's just kind of strange. It's very strange. It's very strange that this is the world we live in. Yeah. That the that and then going into the Republican debates. I mean, they opened it and and everyone tune into part two because we're about to really go deep into that. But let's wrap up this segment by just saying Bidenomics or whatever Biden's like touting his the economy's great under Bidenomics. It's like it gives the Republicans a perfect end to just be like, yeah, everything's really fucking bad right now because it is. Like what Biden has overseen is insane, insanely bad. Gas prices are really high. He calls it the who wouldn't want to just pay the Putin tax yeah, to he, give Russia. He literally know. linked it directly to the yeah. Ukraine war, which is like, why would you do that? That's like the only anti-war talking point Republicans use about how they're it's like they're not getting like supported here at home while the money's going over there. So you literally connect it to the fucking the gas price being high because you want to wage a stupid proxy war. Like it was insane to even say that. It is insane. It is insane. Interest rates are astronomical. No one can afford to buy homes. It's seven percent interest rates right now, and inflation is through the roof. Uh, food is like super expensive. So if you're looking at what does the average American care about? Food prices and gas prices. That's what everyone has to get, right? Everyone has to have a car in most of these cities because God, over my fucking dead body, will you implement Agenda 21 or 15-minute cities? So we all have our own cars. We all have to buy gas and we all buy food. Jeez. That's like literally the only thing that people are just going to be like, oh shit, like my life is harder now than it was. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, they don't even really need to try to do much. 
you know, to make yeah. Biden look horrible. That's that's the right. that's part of it. It's like they're almost trying too hard. It's like they almost took away focus from the fact that it's like, okay, yeah, the Hunter Biden laptop makes him look like whatever, a drug addict, a, you know, like he's addicted to prostitutes, all those things. But like in the end, it's like, I almost feel like they hurt their own ability to get whatever information they've been trying to get out about like Biden bribery, the actual, the specifics of the Burisma like scandal. It's like, there is a thread there that you could probably unpack and follow, but like even just average Republican voters probably can't even follow it because all this other shit, they're just firing on all cylinders on like grooming and all this other just nonsense that it's like you guys actually lost. And and sometimes I'm wondering, do they do it on purpose? Cause it's like, if there is an actual like impeachable, let's say there is an impeachable offense that Biden, like Joe Biden has committed in some of these like exchanges with his son, like, if he really is using pseudonyms to, to to take bribes in the Ukraine and stuff, I mean, like that that should be more important. But it's like you guys fucked it. Like why why would you not make that the centerpiece of like the shit? You know? Oh yeah. Like the I mean, focus seems to be lost. It's like we talk a lot about how good the right is at weaponizing things, and yes, they are good and they're very coordinated. But it's like where's the focus, guys? Like you used to have some focus. Get your fucking focus back. This this is just like all over the place. The amount of times that they mentioned Hunter Biden in the debate is like very funny too, because it just is it just meaningless. Like you said, there was no there was really no scandal other than like what we already knew about Burisma. Um but we've already gone almost two hours. We have a whole other episode to do, Robbie, where we're gonna cover all this and more. So everyone stay tuned. <laughs> 